I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast. A podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, the flamboyant life of Geoffrey Edelston, the man who nearly wrecked Medicare but saved the Sydney Swans, and the conspiracy theories about Daniel Andrews' accident. Darren Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Hi, mate. Good to talk to you. How's the week been? I've been very good, very busy. I'm glad we're out of lockdown. Um, which um, I, I can't believe some people were so negative about it, saying, oh, you can't say we're really out of lockdown. Well, we are. At least you can go out to a, a restaurant, you can go out to a cafe, you can go for a walk. I know you're restricted to 25 k's, but that's better than what it was. You know? Well, it is. We, 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 we mentioned it last week uh, or the mm. week before about the, the degree of anger out there. There's, there's also... Look, I think mental health is... Uh, uh, the government obviously recognises it because they're spending a lot of money in mental health. Yeah. But mental health for young people. And I think it's not just lockdown, but it's it's a lot of things. But it's all coming to a head because of uh, lockdown. Uh, a lot of young people uh, are in, in yep. a bit of trouble mentally. And, and I wonder whether that's also to do with technology, you know, the phones, the apps, the... Uh, uh, the bullying that goes. Yeah, but on. also you've had you've had you know, kids not at school, so they haven't got the camaraderie of their, of their mates. I mean, even even now under the new new system, you can't um, you can't have people to your house. You know, so it's. A, you know, it's I wonder tough. if you, if you were doing VCE, you know, the final mm. year of high school, and and you've got plans to to do big things at university, and and this is disrupting. And you can see that it's affecting you. Uh, you're competing with other kids, uh, but all you're worried about is yourself because you want to do well yourself. Yep. I could see how that would be a big issue that weighs on a lot of people. Yeah, well, let's hope we're... You know, they've got the light at the end of the tunnel. It could be a train coming the other way, but let's hope we're, we're, <laughs> we let's hope we're getting there. We want to see a light. We want to see That's some right. sun. Darren, right. uh, we had the death of uh, Dr. Jeffrey Edelston. Uh, now, the word that always accompanies his name is flamboyant, and he was. Mm. He used to wear funny coloured suits, dye his hair, and, you know, women that were twice his size <laughs> with big breasts. He, he, uh, he was quite a character, but I noticed uh, you, you've been quoted as saying he's a crook. He was a crook. Uh, he was a very flamboyant character. He was colourful. He used to wear bright yellow suits and things like that. But Geoffrey Edelson was a crook. Um, I did was quoted in the Sunday Herald Sun as saying that if he wouldn't know what a principal was if he tripped over one. Um, it sounds harsh, but I always say all history owes the dead the truth. And I've known Geoffrey Edelson since the mid-1970s when I was the uh, editor of the Sydney Sun newspaper. We went after him then. I mean, back then, Edelston uh, owned a record shop called Edel's Records in Sydney. And he owned it, I think, in partnership with um, Abe Saffron, who was probably Sydney's best-known gangster. Uh, his nickname was Mr Sin, so I'll leave it at that. Um, then he went on, and Edelston almost single-handedly, uh, back in the 70s, almost brought down Medibank. Almost brought, I mean, Gough Whitlam introduced it, and it was a great thing we had with Medibank and now Medicare, which is under attack at the moment. But he almost brought it down. I'll tell you why. Edelston owned a, uh, a, 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 a medical practice out in the suburbs, and he would... Every person who went to see him, 
he would um, prescribe a pathology test, which in those days cost about 90 bucks a piece, I suppose. He owned the pathology clinic that he sent them to. And so he had this secondary business like of pathology. No matter what you went there for, if you had an ingrown toenail, uh, Jeffrey Edelson would send you off to, uh, to have a pathology test. And he learned how to exploit the system. And that's when, of course, then he started with the, the grand pianos and the chandeliers and these walk-in um, medical centres. And he, he almost brought down Medibank because he, he drained it. He, uh, he, milked, uh, he milked the system. Take me back, though, Darren, in the 70s when you were uh, chasing him then. Yeah. What was all that about? Oh, that was about just being being uh, being a, a doctor. We didn't. He hadn't started being as flamboyant as he was. A doctor being involved in uh, in, in Medibank uh, shenanigans. But then, of course, he grew. He went on for that. I mean, he was a he was a poser and a very clever one. And the media fell for it. Um, he did. He was never as wealthy as people thought he was. He didn't own a lot of the things. I'll give you an example. When he quote owned the Sydney Swans, right? He, he, he leased everything. He used to live in a mansion at Bowral, which is where they used to film a country practice, a beautiful mansion. He leased it. He, he had a pink helicopter. He leased it. He, I remember I talked to his PR man once, years and years later, about one of the most famous things with his first wife, Leanne. He gave her a, a pink um, sports car for her birthday. And I think the number plate was sexy or something like that. And... Uh, to make it look good, they said that this sports car for Leanne um, was, had mink-covered seats, okay? That's how wealthy, how ex- exotic it was. It, it wasn't mink. It was either, it was either poly, some, some polyester or it was rabbit fur. What they did, they put a velvet rope around it to keep the journalists away from it so they couldn't see it was, wasn't really mink and made it look so exotic. And that's the way he lived. And he did that, that forever. I mean, turning up at the Melbourne Cup in a bright yellow suit to drop down on one knee and propose to one of his wives. It was just, it was all part of Edelston's game. And in the end, of course, he went, he went bankrupt, I think, one or, once or twice. Um, and then he, um, uh, he, he owed, when he died, he owed the tax man millions of dollars. Well, he, he went to jail, but I want to get into all that uh, later on. Let, let's start with Leanne Edelston. Now, she was 23. Uh, he was 41 when they got married. Um, and uh, she was wearing skimpy bikinis and hanging around. I remember, you know, I was a young man at that, that stage myself, and, and she was hanging well, around the, the Warwick Capper and the Sydney Swans yeah, players. I, I remember sitting next door to her at a Sydney Swans um, function, and he obviously wasn't giving much money for clothes because it was the shortest leather skirt I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, but look, Leanne, to her credit, I became quite friendly with her years later. She went on to become a... Um, um, a very qualified um, medical assistant. I think it was in Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. Um, very high-class job. She then uh, blotted a copybook by doing a tacky interview with um, 60 Minutes, I think it was, when she chased Clive James all around Britain with a, with a other Mars bar or a Cheerio bar because that had an affair apparently. And when they finished in the Regent Hotel in Sydney, they'd give each other Mars bars or something. So she turns up with... And he's starting to suffer from dementia... And she turns up and ambushes him as he gets out of the, the subway in London, and it was it was awful to watch. And I said to her, Leanne, that that was not not a good look, not classy. But, yeah, well, he, he uh, Clive James's wife uh, didn't know about the affair, so uh, I think that's how she found out about it. Yeah, and, it, was, it was all very tacky. But look, Edelston, he. Um, the, the, the Christopher Dale Flannery thing um, was amazing because he's a Mr. Rent-A-Kill was his nickname. 
and uh, he was hired by Edelston to beat up, I don't know why, to beat up one of Edelston's former patients. And Edelston went to jail over that. Now, there was a rumour for a long time that Edelston was started walking with a limp. And the rumour was that um, he said he'd had a, he, I mean, he said he had a, a car accident, right? The rumour was that the, the, the mob um, um, chopped off one of his toes with a pair of um, metal clippers because he, he'd crossed them in some manner or form. Uh, but a story I shouldn't tell us again against Leanne because... She grew, and she grew incredibly and got a good job in the end. But way back when he was married to her, he's late coming home, and this, this came out in some uh, Royal Commission uh, or police wiretaps, so I've, I've seen the transcript, so I'm, I know what I'm talking about here. Um, he's driving home and he's running late, and he says, uh, Leanne calls him up and says, where are you? He said, I'm on my way home. He said, you wouldn't believe who I've been with. And uh, she said, who? And he, it was either Flannery or he named one of these crooks. And she said, do you know what he does for a living? And she said, no. He said, he kills people. <laughs> now, what would you think if you're a wife and your husband told you he's only running home from just being with a guy who kills people for a living, what would you think your first question might be? Well, that's <laughs> okay. right. You, you won't guess this one. She said, he said, he kills people for a living. She said, does he have a nice house? <laughs> does he have a nice house? <laughs> what, what was the answer? <laughs> I can't remember, but it was, uh, but it was just, um, it blew me away. That was years and years ago, and I've never forgotten it. But then he moved on from Leanne. As I said, she moved on. They all moved on. I mean, then he married Bryn, of course, uh, Bryn Gordon, who um, he married. Um, married three times, is that right? Yeah. Uh, I think, a, so, I think so. I think so. I've never yes, because I, I think yes, because he married the the other girl who Breck or who something ta- was her. Ta- right. kept, kept taking, the girl who kept taking the clothes off. Greco, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Um, but Bryn was in the, the Herald Sun recently, um, just after he died, saying that uh, it was a very weird relationship and that the quote the the marriage was never ever consummated. They weren't intimate. Yeah, that that's what yeah. uh, that's what never she consummated. Said, um, so, and then they had a very mess, a very messy divorce. I mean, he did. I mean, he did. She got very upset. I know when he called her a gold digger and stuff like that. But she claimed that he he never gave up with the. I mean, he met her I think on one of those sugar daddy websites, and she claims that he was besotted with uh, those sorts of uh, internet websites even after they were married and that he would, if she went overseas to see her parent, her family, um, he'd call get girls out here or he'd go over there and tell them all that he was in the middle of a, he was in the middle of a divorce when they'd never discussed it. But, yeah, yeah. Anyway, look, he, he, but he, he conned people because, I mean, he had 500, what, 500 people to his wedding to Bryn and uh, she had, it wouldn't have known, Ten of them, and he would only probably known a few of them. He had Jason Alexander come out here from Seinfeld. He had the woman from the nanny. Um, he had all these people. He he put out that video, um, like a, a mock up. He had a video made of of a romance, which was sort of a mock up of Pretty Woman, which I thought for the for the woman involved for Britain that was a bit much because. Pretty woman was all about a wealthy man who who rejuvenates a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he spent $3 million on that wedding, is, Supposedly, the, is, yeah. the, is the story. Obviously, if he had so many people, I, I could see how he'd spend a lot of money on it. What was going on inside his head, uh, Darren? What what motivates somebody? Uh, it, because it was that? all about Jeffrey. Um, even Brenner said he loved people talking about him. He loved being the centre of attention. He... Uh, 
whatever. I mean, when he had, when he owning owning the Sydney Swans, only a football team made you know big deal in this country, in any country, you know. But he um he just well, everything everything he did was it was about Jeffrey. Um, and I mean, even the, the the last girl that he was married to that that, that ended up I think was intervention orders and God knows what. And um, I, I tell you what, he had. He had, the, he had the worst hairdresser because that's the worst hair dye I've, <laughs> job I've probably ever seen. Yeah, I think he had a problem with his eye. He had an eye operation. Yes, he had one. Pro- he had, yes, he did have. He, I, I'm, I may be wrong, but I do know he was either blind or semi-blind in one eye um, for a long, long time. But I, I mean, I'm going back to 1975. So anything he ever did years later didn't surprise me. Um, uh, apparently, he, he was he was very intelligent. He, he did his um, oh, yeah. He's a medical degree at Melbourne he, and, he, he, and, he, and he, t- he topped his class. Yeah, he's up, he's uh, up there on an honour board somewhere. Yeah, yeah that is true. Oh, he, he, I've never said he was stupid. I've just said he was a crook. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he grew up in the Carlton area, gave a lot of money to the Carlton Football Club, uh, apparently. He, he's, and he became, became a life member. He's made a life member of Carlton, that's true. His parents uh, had been to the Holocaust, so he's of uh, Jewish uh, background. Yes, he was. I, I don't know anything about, um, did he have children? Uh, I thought I there's, 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 a no, there's, a, there's a claim of a a son who claims he is Jeffrey Edelson's child. I don't know where that where that story sits at the moment. And you and he, did you ever sit down and you know have dinner or talk? No, or, um, never. No, look, he, when I was on Three AW, uh, Edelson was the classic sewer from the sewer, but he was a classic sewer, S-U-E-R. He used to, um, if you read a story on A.W. that he hated or didn't like, it was an, an uncomplimentary, he immediately got his lawyers to call you and send you a, a, a show cause legal letter, which would get the get the management of 3AW scared and they'd just pull the story. Yep. And that happened again and again. And yet, in all the times that he pulled stories or threatened me, he never once sued. He never just he used the the lawyers as a as, as a bluff as a warning again and again and, 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 and it worked it worked yeah know. well I guess uh, news organisations are pretty uh, risk averse so they don't want to get into long running legal uh, actions you, you, that never uh, stopped you I guess Aaron <laughs> you you uh, you know when you when you thought you were right you were right that's right I think I think I've um, I think I bought my lawyer a house in, in Bali. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but you have you have to. I mean, the stuff, some of the stuff that he was doing uh, was, was, was shocking, you know. But along the way, I mean, look at Bryn and his ex-wife. They 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 gave her her own TV show. Remember something called Bewitched or Bedazzled or Bryn be something or other like that. And she had her own reality TV show. Uh, for a while. Well, he, so. he died alone. Uh, apparently in the last couple of months of his life, uh, he was pretty reclusive. Uh, only sort of hired help, uh, he, he would see. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm told he was found by a cleaner, I think. Uh, and and I've also, I only know this secondhand, that he actually had been having some health problems over the past 12 months. Um, and and look, it's, a, it's a sad way for anybody to, to die. Um I um and within 24 hours you had Edelston died and a, a, a radio journal whom many people in Melbourne would not know much about and was Howard Sattler uh, died over the week over last weekend and um, Howard was a was a good broadcaster very controversial he um he he made bad headlines and something I would not have done when he questioned, remember when he, he asked that awful mm. question of uh, the Prime Minister Julie Gillard was in his studio. And he said, "Is your boyfriend gay?" Yes. 
And he was and, and sacked was, as a result. He of was that. sacked as, and, and he should have been. I mean, that to a prime minister, to anybody. I mean, a, it's none of his business. I mean, I, I had said about uh, about Julia's boyfriend that he was batting above his weight at one stage or something like that. But you, you, it just it was no, none of anybody's business. Um, he also, I think, with Howard once, and I, you know, I'm pretty sure of this, he once three young Aboriginal kids were killed in a in a police chase in a car smash in WA. And he said something like, good riddance to bad rubbish, when three kids died. Mm, so, so terrible. He, yeah, so he, um, he, he blotted, his, blotted his copybook a few times and the, the one with about um, Julia Gillard's partner, uh, he got sacked over that. And, but he, he'd, he'd had a, some sort of a neurological problem for, for some years, apparently. But it was quite sad to hear that he'd gone. Yeah, well, he was uh, top rating at 6PR in Perth oh, yeah. for quite some time. He did um, go to Sydney at some stage. He went stage, to 2SM, so. yeah, he did. He, he asked me my advice, uh, actually, on that. He came to Melbourne and said... I've been offered this job in Sydney. Uh, what should I do? And I, I advised him to take it. I said, hey, current affairs, it was a talkback current affairs sort of program. And I said, you know, it's in the big smoke and it's worth a try. And he did it for a while. I don't, th- I don't think it was that successful, but uh, being on a station like 2SM. But he, um, he, he, I think he, st- like many of us, started out as a print journalist, I think, on the Sydney, on the Sydney Morning Herald. But anyway, it, I, I didn't know he was that sick, but he uh, obviously he was, and he died so, a few days ago. He was um, only 76. Edelston was, I think, 78. Uh, so they haven't uh, lived long lives, but I guess they've... they've uh, hey, mate, at 77, I look at those ages, whenever you see somebody who, who carks it, you look and say, oh, how old were they? Oh, 76, 77. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, look, I, I was a bit spoiled because my dad lived to 94 and his sister lived to 101, so uh, mm. they had long, long lives. And when well, I, I'm, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I'm a bit like that. My... Um, grandmother on my father's side, that's my dad's mum, she lived to 96, dad lived to 94, and his only sister lived to 95. So if, 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 if history's any, anything, you know, I've got a few years to go yet. Well, you've got, a, you've got a, an, another liver too, Darren, so uh, that, that'll <laughs> that's right. you. That's right, and, and, and my, my, my donor uh, uh, was only, Heath Gardner was only, he turned 28 the day he died, so, so my liver's only... 38 years old. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I wanted to also uh, touch on uh, all this stuff about uh, Daniel Andrews. Now, yeah, I, speaking I, of illnesses, let's talk about Dan Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed um, uh, he, he has had the Pfizer jab and he's, he said uh, when he's coming back to work, he's been off now for uh, three, three months. months. And uh, I guess everybody in Victoria has heard all the, the rumours yeah. about him. Back up here a bit. I mean, I was amazed when I when I heard the other day. I saw a picture the other day of uh, of him having the jab. I would have thought he had the jab months ago, as a premier. I mean, even before he got sick, before he broke his back and, he, and his ribs. I mean, I, I thought that, um, that that Palaszczuk was the last one to have it, and then it turns out that uh, sh- she wasn't. Well, he is under fifty, so he was. Oh, of course, to get, yeah. He's to get the, the Pfizer jab, and I, yeah. I think that only just became available to people under fifty, two or three. Oh, weeks. okay. Now, no, yeah, that explains it. Ago. That explains it. Now, listen, this thing about the about his illness. Now, in the early days, I think it's probably fair to say that his office was a bit cute and didn't give out enough information about how sick the Premier was. So I think that's fair. But since then, it's just blossomed, and of course the, the opposition, the Liberals, have picked up on this and all their questions about what really happened. All these rumours started, if you read back on it, 
way back just after he had had the fall and broken his back. It started on like a, a QAnon sort of ratbag, anti-vaxxer, right, ultra-right-wing website. Then some of the semi-major media sort of picked up some of it, and I was getting emails from people and text messages with the most outrageous rumours. Um, supposedly, we know this is really what happened. I mean, he supposedly was, I'm not going to go into all the rumours, but he supposedly was bashed up by CFMEU officials. Uh, he was knocked down the stairs. He never didn't fall. They, 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 he was drunk. They kept the cab, the tax, the, the ambulance waiting until he could uh, have a test, etc. Um, I do know since all this has started to come out, one man who supposedly was there has put out a statement saying, hey, I was having dinner at a totally different location with my wife that night. I wasn't anywhere near the place. And then, of course, Ambulance Victoria very pointedly said, we have the permission of Mr Andrews to release this, and they released what they said was their timetable for when an ambulance was called and when they got there, when they picked him up, and that he asked to be taken to a local hospital. Yeah, well, that all fitted in with the uh, story that Daniel Andrews had initially uh, said. Yes. The, the, the problem is, though, uh, there, ha- there was a vacuum of information. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as you said early on, they, they, they released just enough information to say that he'd been, you know, severely injured and uh, that he'd be taking quite some time uh, to, to recover. But other than that, uh, not much else was released and people were... There were, there were rumours about where he was, who he was with. Oh, yeah, the, the Fox family name came into it. Uh, yeah, now I would have thought that just, just to stop that, because he is a public figure... And, oh, yeah, yeah. and normally you would say, look, I don't want to deal with these rumours. They're just rumours. I'm going to, I'm going to maintain a dignified silence and not, not, not respond to them. But it gets to a point, I think, where you just got to respond to them. Um, he could have mm. released a video or, or released a, a statement or, 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 or something to say, these rumours that you are hearing, they are wild and fanciful and they're not true. But, but he's never done that. That's true. And, and, and some of the rumours, and let's not go any di- into them because I don't want to get sued either, but some of them actually... Um, Quite disgusting, uh, actually. Disgusting and actually um, hinted at criminal activity by the Premier, you know, and it's just not true. But uh, it's, uh, you're right, he should have come out, I think, and some he should have. They got too cute the first couple of days. Now, whether it's on his instructions or just through uh, being amateurs, I don't know, but it, was, it should have come out, and you're quite right, there should be more put out at the time. I do think it's obscene when people just suddenly start pointing out how much money he's earned I mean, well, let's see. The man's sick. The uh, man's sick. You know, yeah. if if if, my, if a staffer of mine suddenly had a bad fall and was taken and couldn't come to work, how would you feel if I if I said, "Well, oh, you you're not getting paid." Well, Louise Staley, the uh, yeah. shadow treasurer, she said that uh, he, he was he, he's collecting the premier's wage, which is four hundred and forty mm-hmm. or fifty thousand dollars a year. She said he should be just on the basic wage of a um, a backbencher while he's not doing his job. But I think that's wrong too. Last, what, 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 what if a CEO of a big company has a fall? Should he go back to the secretary's wage? Because he's, he's ill. And the man had a broken back. Now, you know, I told you the story before. I had a broken back. I had to sleep. I, I, luckily, my, I had broken ribs and in, in the vertebrae were inside my rib cage, which protected me a bit. But I had to sleep for five weeks sitting up in a chair in my lounge room. I could not lie down to sleep. And I imagine that Andrews has been through the same thing. He's been in a back brace for, for week after week, month after month. 
Yeah, I, I think that's all the, 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 the claim about the money is, is rubbish. Um, whether you like him or not, last year he fronted up 121 days straight and, uh, and didn't have a break and uh, he would have been under enormous pressure. So uh, I've got no problem with him being paid. I, I just think he could have been a bit more transparent. Sure, he's a private person. Sure, it's a health matter. But no, he's not a private person. He's a Premier of the state. So well, well, yeah, you're entitled to be asked, ask, you're entitled to ask some questions. But I think the Libs went too far. And I think, especially in the middle of a pandemic, is, that, is this the major issue for them? I, I, look, people still don't, don't, don't remember O'Brien's name. No, no, only a year out from an election, 18, 15 months, and, and the man is not cut through at all. Well, I know he, he, what happens every day, uh, the government has a media conference uh, at either 11 o'clock or 11.30, mm -hmm. but they, they have, and they go through the figures. Uh, James Molino talks, the, the chief health officer talks, and uh, the health minister talks. And then at about 1.30 or 2 o'clock, Michael O'Brien does a media conference. But... They don't do that live on television. <laughs> no. And uh, because there's so much information to impart, he very rarely gets anything on air. Uh, and that's the problem with being uh, the opposition. Unless you do crazy things... Yeah, or... You're not going to... Or unless you give... I've, I watch his press conferences, I've seen delayed, but um, unless you come up with... with alternative plans. I mean, you can't just say the government's wrong. You've got to say, well, if I were in office, I would do it this way. And they mm. rarely do that. You know, they really say, this is an alternative plan that could work and could save business and could help businesses do this and do that sort of thing. Well, the problem with the opposition here in Victoria is they don't have enough numbers in the House. They don't have the... Uh, the quality of staff, uh, I, I guess they don't have the resources either uh, and they just can't match the government in, in that area. And the government is spending a lot of money on public servants to, uh, to give them uh, that sort of, um, you know, background and, uh, and information yeah. and uh, media advice. Um, yeah, they, they, they just they, can't they, match them. I mean, yeah, I mean you've got... Uh they haven't, they haven't broken through. I mean, there's a touch of the elbows here. I mean, I feel sorry for Albo because in, in the middle of a pandemic, he's not cutting through either. So oppositions have a tough time at the best of times. Probably one of the best opposition leaders was Tony Abbott because he managed to find ways to get, push himself forward and get his stuff out there. He was very simple with his message. Yeah, he was. There will not he, be a carbon tax, all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, so. br brutal, simple thing. You know. I, I wanted to ask you, Darren, here in Victoria, I notice uh, they're, uh, they're looking at uh, legislation that will um, overtake the uh, state of emergency stuff, so it'll be permanent legislation in how they deal with uh, COVID. And Fiona Patton's name always comes up as uh, a bit of a, uh, a person, a power broker here. She, she has a lot of power for one person who's only got she one does. seat and a, and a she, minor she, party. She, she, does, she does a lot of... Um she does a lot of uh, a lot of press. I'll grant you. I'll grant you that. I mean, she doesn't like me because I once referred to the Reason Party, the, her, the new name for the Sex Party. I called the Reason Party the Treason Party. We 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 fell out over. We, we did not. The Justice Party did not support the state of emergency extending month after month after month. I was prepared because of the situation to give them like one month, but I had to have them parliamentary review after a month. 
and that you, the parliament. So the parliament had some control over what the government was doing. You couldn't just give them a blank check and say, okay, you have another six months, another nine months, another four months. And uh, we, we, got, we, we voted against the state of emergency extension, but we lost. And the other issue that she's had a bit to say on is the safe injecting room, which, uh, you know, looks like it's going to be at Flinders Street. Um, and she's been quite Are you sure of that? I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that's what they were pushing for. Look... I've always been. Well, they bought a building in Flinders Street. The yeah, government always, bought a building uh, opposite, opposite the station. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yes, I've um, I've always been of two minds about safe injecting rooms. Um, uh, the, the figures seem to show that it does save lives. Two things that have worried me is that I've always been told if you're a heroin addict, you in, you injected it, you open your tin foil with it, and you inject it within four minutes of getting your dose, uh, because you're scared somebody would steal it. So you wouldn't get on a bus or a tram or a cab and go to a safe injecting room. Uh, number one. Number two has always worried me about how the cops handle it when, when heroin's illegal, but if you're in like a, a, a X metres of, of a safe injecting room, the cops can't arrest you for uh, carrying illegal substances. So it's 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 still a big worry. I, I I still have. I can see where it's coming from, and it's worked very well over the years in Sydney in Kings Cross, but it does have problems. It's an imperfect solution, but yes. but I, I think the the the, the Richmond one. Uh, um, being so close to a school. Well, that's madness. Why would you put an injecting room near a primary school? Well, Just and, mad. And their kids going to school, mm. and a couple of months ago there was uh, a guy lying in the gutter. I think he might have died or something. And kids were walking past his body going to school. Now, what does that do to a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid? It's just, uh, that's, that's crazy. There's, there's I agree that from day one, it should not have been put there. They put it there because Richmond has been and probably still is a bad drug area. Uh, and they thought that's the way to go. But I, I agree with you, it was a, it's a wrong wrong location. And, yeah. and I think if they go with Flinders Street opposite the station, that's also uh, a wrong location. Well, 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 Flinders Street is meant to be... What, Flinders Station is what, meant to be one of our main tourist attractions. <laughs> so, was the Victoria, so was the Victoria Market, and they were planning yeah. to put something near the, uh, the Victoria yeah. Market. You're right. I think you should want an imperfect solution, I think, is a very good expression. Yeah, well... Look, it's a problem. Uh, I, 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 in theory, I think they do save lives. Uh, obviously, if you can get clean drugs and, you know, maybe they can talk to the person and counsel them and try and get them mm. off drugs, that's one way of uh, doing it. But uh, w the location is really important. And you shouldn't be affecting the lives of normal, innocent people and businesses too. Like I talked to a business guy who's got a, a clothes shop in Flinders Lane and he's uh, beside himself that uh, that they're planning to do something And you can understand like that. that. You can understand that, you know. I mean, I, I remember talking to people in uh, uh, in Richmond back when they were, t when they were putting, before they put that one in there, and, and local shops were saying, oh, you know, it's not, not a good look for us, but then it's the old NIMBY thing, isn't it? Not in my backyard. Yeah. Darren Hinch, uh, it's been a pleasure again, and... Uh, and we we'll shall talk soon.